everybody. Uh, welcome back to you. Before I forget, um, I am Kevin, as you guys know, and as with, 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 with me, as always, is my Sutter and Tyree. Tyree, say hi. Hey, hey. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, we got a pretty good show for y'all today. Um, I'm excited about it. And I know Tyree's excited about it, and I'm going to let Tyree tell y'all a little bit about it. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Tyree. So, hey, everybody, it's Tyree here with Before I Forget, and uh, we have our guest here, Mr. Paul the Anvil O'Keefe. Now, He's done some pretty wild uh, things in his life, and he's going to share them with us. Uh, he also just happens to be an IAA uh, member, more or less. So uh, shout out for him for that. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to you, Paul. Go, hey, say hey. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Uh, guys, thank you so much for uh, inviting me on the show. It's a, it's a true blessing to talk with anybody Uh in our world about anything positive that can help, you know, help others out help other veterans. And, um, I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Oh yeah, man. I mean, and that's kind of, but that's, that's what, that's what we want to do is we want to show other veterans, um, what life is like, um, when you, when you develop a skill and you, you put, you know, you, you put in those, uh, the, the work skills, you know, the, the skills yeah. that we learn in the military, we put those to work for ourselves. Sure. Um, it's, yeah. it's not, you know, it can be a huge positive thing. And I, I don't even think people realize how much you've learned. Even if you do four years in the military as, you know, uh, a cook or something like that, you learn so much mm-hmm. in that short time frame. I don't think people tap into that discipline enough when they get out. Yeah. A lot of people, once they get out, they're like, I'm out of here. They throw it all away. Not really throw it away, yeah. but say, hey, I'll throw it in the bag and use it sometime later. And they never do. And that stinks. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I, I would even say that, like, I mean, they, they, some of them really do throw it all the way. Like, they had these, like, I, I remember, like, some people were, like, doing, like, ceremonial burning of their, of their, you know, boots and BDUs and, mm-hmm. or whatever they had left. You know what I mean? Whatever the, uh, the CIF wouldn't take when they left. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. this is so, like, did you really hate your time in that much that you need to burn everything? Like, it's, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a waste. <clears throat> it's, 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 I don't know. And I think, honestly, it kind of says a lot about the person and their, their, their sure. experience, but mm-hmm. I was going to say that's how that's their perception of how everything was was maybe it was all bad. Maybe, yeah, but it doesn't mean that... if you if you yeah, could, if you could if you could burn your stuff that easily, you uh, I mean, mean you're, you're basically you're basically saying that that time of your life was worthless, you know, and it's definitely not. Even if you hated ninety nine percent of what you did in the military, you still learned and grew from what you did in that experience. So that's just kind of childish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I, I agree completely. Like yeah. you may have not liked it, but you still learn some stuff and you can put that stuff to work. It's a so you were, um, so you were, you were air force, uh, security. Yes, force. I was security forces. So I went in, uh, my, my dad, um, was a chief master sergeant in the air force and he did uh, almost 30 years, um, as a cop in the air force. He put on chief, he put on his E nine stripe, uh, at 15 years. So he was a burner Oh man! and I got to watch him go to all these, you know, Gucci schools, he, you know, Ranger school and doing stuff with, uh, SF troops and, and, and really building a program for the air force for the ground launch cruise missiles back in the cold war era. So he was working with the army with all these high speed guys and growing up, I got to see that. I got to see my dad, doing all these cool things and we're all over Europe and, you know, down in, in Tucson where he was an instructor. And as a little kid, 
I got to hang out with him and all his high speed buddies and they taught me how to repel and we did the obstacle courses and I'd go on long runs and rucks with them. Um, and that, that influenced over my, my young life and thinking all these guys were like GI Joe really made me want to join the military. And honestly, I probably could have went into any other service or any other career, but I was so impressed with my dad that I became an air force cop. And my, my one regret in the military, if, if I have any, I wish I, I wish I would have tried to hit a, hit a different specialty job like pair rescue or combat control or something like that. But I had a great time as a cop and I made the best of it. So. Right on. Yeah. And uh, so, so before um, all of our, cause I think you might be like the second uh, person we've had from the air force on. And uh, so, you know how, you know how the jokes go. Uh, the, the chair force, you know, I don't do anything yep. and blah, blah, blah. But like some of the pictures that I've seen of you, like you're, you, you, until I saw a photo that you had sent where you actually had your air force rank on, it was pretty much indistinguishable from yeah. uh, people in the army people. Well, I mean, aside yeah. people, you were in the DCUs, you know what I'm saying? You had, yeah. I couldn't tell what weapon system was. It was like, kind of like a saw. Was it a saw? Uh, we, we had, well, we always had a saw with us. I had a two or three <clears> in the <throat> pictures. I think you sent or that I sent you. Um, those uniforms we had on though, they were all sanitized. We didn't really have anything on them. Mm-hmm. Um, we were doing, we were doing some stuff with the army at that time and we were looking for some people and we were working with the army and an outside agency. Um, and it was just a wild time, man. I didn't feel like I was in the air force at all. <laughs> we did all this. We did, uh, you know, all the cool, got all the warning orders and we did all the cool operations orders and did all the walkthroughs and we built you know, stuff to, to mimic where we were going to be operating. And we were doing all the things that we, we would be doing if we were going on a mission. And right before we were supposed to go grab these dudes up, uh, another team came in and, and pulled, pulled it from us. No, oh, man. That's how, that's, that's how that goes, though, that's man. That's normal. Yeah, it happens. I worked a lot with the Army, though. I got to work with the Army a lot. Hey, but that's kind of what I want to what I wanted to get. I cannot get my tongue together. Um, kind of what I want to get at today, because like you know, when we're deployed, regardless of the branch that that you're in, like we're all over there doing something, right? We're all over there being a part of the big sure. picture. And so when we come home, <clears throat> this is one thing that I cannot stand the the, the toxic like veteran culture where they want to hate on other people and like they truly mean it. Like it's one it's one thing to jest and joke and everything, but like you're over there doing the exact same thing we're doing, you know, trained to do the exact same thing we're trained to do, working with the same people that we probably worked with. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's yeah. just really bad. And some of those pictures, man, like I'm, I'm jealous. We don't have like headsets and stuff like that, like that, that you had. Those are pretty cool. Yeah. That, was a, that was a long time ago, man. Those things yeah. worked like crap, by the way. Yeah. What year were you over? Yeah. That's what I was uh, that, that those pictures were like 2001, 2003 time, time frame. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was fresh. It was fresh when you yeah. was over there. Okay. What year yeah, did you actually fresh. join the military? Uh, I joined in 1996. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I, so I, I graduated from high school in, uh, well, I was supposed to graduate in 92. And we, we were overseas in, in Europe. And, um, you know, I was playing baseball for the base team. I was playing football for the base team. And there was a tryout. Uh, for a men's league baseball team, a semi-professional European baseball team. And 
they had the football, the, the, the European football league was going on. So like we had the Frankfurt galaxy playing close to us, like a semi pro team that, you know, guys got recruited out of or guys that were hurt would go over and play and do rehab and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a baseball league also in Europe, not quite as good as the football league. And they had this tryout. They put it in the, in the stars and stripes. If you, if you want to try out for this baseball team, come to Mannheim at this field at this time. So my dad, who always encouraged me to play sports, I said, come on, bud, let's go, let's go down there. Why don't you go throw for these guys? I threw hard in high school. I, I played really high level baseball. So I went down and tried out as a, you know, 17 year old kid. And I, I made the team. I, I made the, the German team. So then I was playing baseball on Fridays and Saturdays, but we didn't live near Mannheim. I had to take a uh, train to get there. That meant I missed school. Sometimes I'd get late, back late on Sunday and I'd miss Mondays. So I missed all these days of school because I was playing baseball for this German team. And then I got traded to play in Paris and it got worse because I was going to France all the time. So I was doing this as a senior in high school. Man, it was, it was crazy. So I'm, I'm playing center field or I'm pitching. I'm hitting three or four. And I'm a kid amongst all these men and I, I'm, you know, I'm meeting older women that I shouldn't be meeting because they don't know how old I am. Yeah. Um, so I did all this stuff my senior year in high school. And we had a new principal come in right at the end of the year. And he came from somewhere in the Korean, like uh, the school system over in Korea, over on the basis. And he was very strict on academics and on like tardies and absences. Well, I had a million absences. So in 92, when I was supposed to graduate, they didn't let me graduate at this, at this Air Force Base school in Germany. So I, I, I didn't graduate. I had to come back to Arizona and I, I went to school for like a semester, staying with my grandparents, graduated. I was trying out. I was trying to play baseball professionally. I didn't want to go to college. Um, I didn't really want to join the military at that time. I wanted to play baseball and I tried out with Chicago. I had a couple, couple, couple tryouts with Chicago, got released. I, I broke my arm. And a couple of years went by and I'm like, I got nothing going for me. I'm never going to play baseball. I don't want to go back to school. I, I wasn't mature enough for it. So that's when I decided, you know what? My dad and all his buddies do cool, cool stuff all the time. And uh, I want to be like those guys. So I joined the air force and became a cop. Without, I didn't even think about it. Like when I, when, when I made my mind up to do it, the thought came in my head was like, you're never going to pitch for a pro team. You might as well do something with your life. And the next thing that came in my head was join the air force. And I went and talked to a recruiter and that was it. What was your do dad's you, uh, reaction to uh, you joining? Yeah. Say that again. What was it, your dad's reaction to you joining? You know what? I, my, my dad was, my dad was a real smart guy. Um, he, he was always, he was always around me to catch me if I was going to fall. Cause I was kind of a, kind of a bad kid. You know, I was, I was a goofball. I, I like to get in trouble. I like mischief. I like chasing girls around. I was always in trouble. And my dad, as much as he could try to 
be there for me and, 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 and help me out when I got in those situations. Um, so when I joined the air force, I think for him, it was, it was kind of a sigh of relief. Like, okay, maybe, maybe now my son is going to grow up and he's going to go and get stripped down to nothing and lose this ego and lose this attitude and, you know, be a better person. I think he was really excited mm. and I was really excited. Kevin, you had a question? Uh, yeah, go um, I completely spaced on what it was, but uh, no. So like life, life. So you came in 96 and then, you know, um, I can't, I don't do math in public, but like a couple years later, nine uh, eleven happens, and then yeah. like now, like the, the 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 world has completely changed. The tempo of the military has completely sure. changed. Uh, what was what was that moment like uh, for you guys over in the Air Force? So 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 you got to remember, I grew up my whole <clears throat> life in the Air Force. I was you know as a dependent, you go through everything. You know you don't go through the work that your parents do, but you you see it all. So so all during the Cold War in Europe when. We had protesters spitting on our school buses and people throwing stuff at us because we had a nuke. We were at a nuke base. Um, I saw all that. I had um, we had cops on our buses for security when stuff was going on in Libya. Like uh, like all those things that were happening during the Cold War era and, and with all those little skirmishes we had everywhere. I was I was a kid growing up through all of that. So when I went in in '96, everything was relatively calm. Um, it, it, for for years, all I was doing was training and learning to be the best law enforcement and security officer I could. And I had years to do that before 9/11 kicked off. And by that time, I was already, you know, I was already taking my first steps as a leader. You know, from from '96 to 2001, that's five years. I'm I'm putting staff sergeant on. I've got guys under me. I'm training people. Um, I had just become an instructor, so I was a. I started as a cop, like on the base, writing tickets and going to fights and doing all that stuff, and and also working security on the on the jet. And then I switched over. I had an incident with uh, with a supervisor in an armory. And I had the choice of getting in trouble or taking this job as an instructor at Silver Flag. And Silver Flag is out in the middle of nowhere, out like between Area 51 and Nellis. There's this little place called Indian Springs, and it's just in the middle of nowhere in the desert. It's just dust and, and nasty yucca trees, and it's terrible. And I had the choice of getting in trouble for for standing up for myself or go become an instructor. If you want to be, you know, shit hot and talk like that and whatever, you can go you can go out here and and we'll see how tough you are. So I took the job as the instructor and I was like one of 24 cops in the Air Force that had this job and we taught patrolling and uh mount operations, we uh 9 mil all the way to 81 millimeter mortar um we, we did support for pre-ranger for the Air Force. We worked with the, the black hats that would come in and, and give out the goes and no-goes for the Air Force. So I can't even tell you how, how, pivotable, how pivotable, pivotal that job was for me. 
because I, you know, I was still, I still thought I was, you know, an alpha and you can't tell me shit. My, my boots are polished better than yours. My uniform looks better than yours. I like, I write more tickets than you. I, whatever. I was that guy. Cause I was trying to be something like I was trying to be my dad, I guess. And, yeah. and, uh, some people, some people loved it. Some people hated it, but I always got the job done. So then when I had the chance to go be an instructor, that's when I really learned how to drop your ego, work with the team, um, make sure when you're teaching, you're teaching to the lowest level. So everybody's getting it before you're moving on. Like I, I learned so much from that job and man, all we did was patrol, 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 like get your rock on, grab your rifle, grab the, grab the 60. We're going on, a, on another hump. We're going to go do this. And it was just years of that. And, and then I got stationed in Georgia uh, in the 820th, which is the specialty unit for cops in the Air Force. I wouldn't say it's a unit unlike very many others. It's a jump unit. They have, a, they have aircraft assigned to them. Um, it's just three big teams of guys that know how to get it done and patrol and do all the right stuff. And I was lucky enough to be a leader there and deployed with them a couple times too. So it was, I had a good career. That is, uh, um, it, it usually takes some kind of like humbling experience, like going out there and, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Getting kicked in the, the, the teeth basically and having to be like, Oh damn, like <laughs> I, I am not what I thought I was. Mm-hmm. That's awesome though, man. Uh, that was the question that I was kind of going to ask. And you kind of reminded me of that because I was re reminded of that question when you had, you know, you're out there and you're learning all these, like these, like these lessons in humility do you think that you would be where you are today if you had not joined the military, if you had not gone, gone through that experience? Like if you had, if you had stuck with baseball, you know, if the, let's say that, that principal that you graduate and yeah. you're in these similar pro leagues over there in, in Europe um, and you were able to take it to that next level. I mean, or do you, I mean, do you think that you would be where you are right now? So, so I'll answer that in a couple of ways. Um, but let's say, let's say, Somehow, some way, I was blessed and I made it to to the show or to play baseball. I think financially, um, at that point, I'd probably be in a better place because I'd have enough money to invest it and and save it. Um, I don't think I would be in a place as clear-headed about what my importance in life is if I had gone that way, if that makes sense. I I think by... By the struggles in the military, um, by struggles after the military, they've taught me so much more than if I was just to be given some really nice life, you know, out of the blue. Uh, I, I think I, I wouldn't trade my I wouldn't trade my backstory for anything at this point. Highs and lows, and I've had a lot of lows. I've had a lot of bad points. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said about. Uh you know, having to go through it, uh, to, to, to have that humility. Cause I mean, I feel like that's a common thing. Like I, I, I don't think we've talked to many people who were like, you know, if I can go back and do it all over again, I would do this differently or I'd do that. Or I would have tried this. I mean, maybe with some small things. Right. But like, you yeah. gotta, you gotta think like all of our past decisions ultimately led us to where we are today and, yeah. and to be who we are. Um, do you think that you would have, uh, like you picked up MMA, right? That's where you got the nickname Anvil. Right. Yep. So like what, what got you into that? Like, and do you think like, you know, again, like with your choices and everything, is that, is that what kind of led you that in that direction or. So, so when I got out of the service, um, 
I, I had my, my last deployment, I was having a lot of respiratory problems and I was, I was bleeding out of like my respiratory, out of my lungs and my larynx was getting torn up by like acid reflux and blood and like whatever we were inhaling. So on my la last deployment, we were like weeks away from rotating back. And every morning I would get up and I would have to choke and scream and spit these like scabs off my vocal cords because they Jeez. were so raw. So I'd be, I'd be in the shower just choking and screaming and like really trying to scream to get this like thing unlodged off my vocal cords. And once I did that, I'd bleed a little bit and then I could talk for the day. But it started getting really bad and I couldn't talk on the radio. So my, my boss called me and he's like, Hey, O'Keefe, we got to get you out of here. Um, you can't talk on the radio. You got to go. And I'm like, fuck that. Like, I like, sorry. Uh, I, I said, heck with that, sir. I, I don't want to, I don't want to leave. You good. So, you can cuss as much as you want, man. Fuck. Ultimately, fuck ultimately they, they got me on, uh, this little army aircraft that looked like a bus with wings. I don't even know what it was. They got me to Germany, got to a pulmonary specialist, um, had a bunch of issues with my throat and lungs. And I had the choice of my commander told me he'd give me, he'd get, he'd step promote me and give me a stripe if I stayed in because he needed a, uh, he needed a good squad leader and he needed a, a flight leader for the next rotation. Or I could, I could get out on my enlistment. And cause I had told my commander, Hey, I, I'm going to get out. My throat's messed up. I can't talk. I, I was, I was salty from a lot of stuff that was going on over there, running us through the same patrol zone all the time, not changing routes, just dumb stuff that could have like, could have helped us. You know, I was, I was getting salty. So I decided to get out. I, I, they, they offered me to stay in for like eight months until they could get my throat fixed and put me in like a logistical support role, which I did not want to do, or I could punch my ticket. And at that point in time, I punched out and had no, I wasn't ready to get out. That, that's a, when I went on that deployment, I was fine. By the end of the deployment, I sounded like Grover or you couldn't hear me. And that decision that I made was one decision that I wish I would have sat on longer because if I would have let the air force fix my throat, I'd still be doing, I'd, I'd probably re be a retired chief at this point, just like my pop and had a great career, you know, leading, leading troops that really needed leadership and helping who I could. That's one regret I have, but you know what? You can't, can't change it. So when I got out, I was, I was in this bad place. Like I didn't want to be out. I was pissed off at the world. I couldn't talk. I was like bleeding in my throat every day. And, uh, I came back to Arizona and I was working like security at bars and stuff and just sleeping all day, getting fat, getting lazy. What was me? I'm, I'm hurt. No one cares about me. All that kind of crap. And, um, I had a buddy ask me, he's like, Hey man, this heavyweight up in Denver fell off a card that, that I'm going to be fighting on. Do you want to fight? 
And I was like, fight like boxing? And he's like, no, no dude, this is a, a, a cage fight. And I, you know, that, at that time, it was guys like Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell that I was watching. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was more like street fights with a little bit of wrestling. And I'm like, and, and that's no offense to, to Chuck and all those guys. It was just a different fight game back then. Yeah, it was. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I, I've, I've taught combatives in the military. I've been in a million bar fights when my drunk buddies, like, can't handle, you know, handle the guy they started talking shit to, and I had to come help them. So why not? So I was like, yeah, man, I'll take the fight. And we drove up to Denver from Phoenix. Guy gave me five grand. I got in the cage, knocked the shit out of this guy for a couple minutes until he grabbed me. He choked me, he choked me almost to death, and that was my first fight. And I was like, man, I got five grand for – Stomping around with this other sweaty dude in his cage for four minutes. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. I didn't even care that I lost. I got out of the cage. I called my mom. I was all excited. Mom, mom, I just got paid five grand for this fight. She's like, oh, my gosh, Paul, did you win? And I'm like, I'm like well, no. And she's like, well, why are you so excited? Well, I don't know. It was awesome. So then I started training, like, for real. And uh, for a number of years, it was easier to promote myself as a fighter and get people to sponsor me with either products or, or money and and show show my skills in the ring in a way that fight promoters knew if you if you hire that guy he's coming out to win. He might not win, but he's coming to throw bombs, he's gonna throw heavy kicks, he's looking to hurt guys. That guy's going to try to finish, so put him in there against, you know, whoever you're trying to build up for a title or whatever, and it'll be a good fight. So by by promoting myself well, by speaking well when I was doing, like, radio and, you know, interviews and stuff, I think that helped me as a subpar fighter fight for a long time. Because I wasn't that great. I just hit people really hard, so. You're having fun making money. You can't knock it, bro. I was having fun. Yeah. And you you know what? It was at that point in time, I I think I needed that. I needed the, I needed the structure of training every morning again with, with guys that were like-minded, really, really sharpening each other's skills. I needed all of that back then. And as, as I started getting older, um, all of the fight stuff, like, the, the fight is just a few minutes of time, you know, like you, you get in the cage and, and you watch a, you know, you watch UFC or something or Bellator or whatever you're going to watch. And you see those guys in there blasting on each other for 15 minutes. Well, well think about the four months before that, that that guy was in the gym, you know, two and three times a day, you know, four to eight hours a day getting beat up so that he could make it look that good on TV for 15 minutes. Yeah. So as time goes on, that really, that wore on me. And I was old, so I had to, I had to figure out life in a different way. So I started working a real job. Um, I was going to say, so, I mean, aside from the, the structure of, tra- of training and everything, I feel like that probably pulled you out of uh, a potential hole, right? Because just getting into MMA in, in particular, because 
one, you've got, you've got the structure of training and like, you know, you got these timelines, a schedule, you got to go do this, you got to go do that. And like you said, you're sharpening your tools with uh, other like-minded people, which is exactly what we do in the military when it comes to training. And then on top of that, you you have the thrill of the fight itself and all of the, 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 the hormones and the chemicals that are released from training for the fight, for being in the fight, you know, from the adrenaline to the dopamine to the serotonin. So you, you get that rush, which oh, then takes you back to that, those moments when you were with your boys, yep. you know, doing operational things, training to be badass, training to go hit targets. Um, and then, you know, obviously like, you know, you get five grand just to get choked out. I mean, yeah. five grand, you know, 15 years ago was a lot more than five grand today. Way. You know, yeah. It was a lot of money mm-hmm. yeah. like, to, to be, to, to make that kind of money for, just a few minutes of of something you enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Speaking <clears throat> about something that you enjoy doing, what was it like going into that that cage for mm-hmm. uh, for a real big fight? Your biggest fight. What was that feeling like? So, my 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 biggest fight was um, in 2012, and I fought for um, the WF. WFA world heavyweight title. And I'll tell you what, man, that, that fight I trained for, cause it was, it was going to be on a pretty big stage. Um, I train, I trained my ass off of that fight and that one was different. You know, the, the, the king of the cage fights I did and some of the gladiator challenge fights I did, the smaller ones, you know, you always have nerves before the fight because you know, you're getting ready to go. Mix it up with another dude that wants to hurt you as much as you want to hurt him. So if you say you're not nervous a little bit, I'd call bullshit on that. I didn't get nervous to the point where I was ever scared. Um, I was I I was happy to do my walkout and get in the cage because that's the that's the finality of it. You know, like you get all those nerves and all those hormones and everything like you were talking about going during camp when you're being put in bad positions and you like, Oh, how am I ever going to get out of this? How am I going to, how am I going to, you know, stop this from happening? And you're working on all these little things. And then when you get in the cage, it's different. The walkout is crazy. Hmm. I always try to play a song that I know is going to get me just bat shit crazy like mentally for a fight in my head. Um, and the last fight I walked out to, uh, or the last song I walked out to was Eminem. And it was, um, oh man, lose yourself. I think that it was lose yourself. And when that music plays, cause I've been listening to it like every day when I run or every day when like, I'm like in the sauna, that music is like my trigger for when, when I, when I walk out. So whatever, whenever I'm walking out, I'm starting to get really like, it's different. I'm not thinking about the crowd. I don't care if someone's like trying to high five me. I like, I'm, I'm literally walking to the cage and that's all I can see is the cage. And I'm trying to get into that predator mind mindset, you know, while still being able to think. Mm-hmm. You got to put yourself so in that walk- trance. Right, man. You like you got to get in that like it's like that zone or that trance, you know. When when Sylvester Stallone turns his hat to the back and he starts like just beating people's ass on the arm wrestling table, the walkout music for me 
is what triggered that. Like, and I did that intentionally because I don't get, it's hard for me to get fired up. Like I, that guy didn't do anything to me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and after the fight, I'm going to shake his hand and we're probably going to go grab a beer. So I need something more to get me in that right mind frame as I walk in the cage. And when, when I get in the cage and I breathe, as soon as they close the door and I, and I can see the other guy, everything is just quiet. I can't hear anything. I don't see outside of the ring. It's just, it's almost like tunnel vision. And then as soon as you throw your first jab or you get hit by a jab or you get hit with a kick, everything kind of comes back. Then you can start like slowly, you start hearing the crowd, at least for me anyway. Slowly you start hearing the crowd and you see the lights. You might see a cameraman over the top of the cage. Like you don't see any of that until you're engaged in the fight. And it kind of resets your clock. Yeah. So, and I was, I saw, so I was, I, I, I was looking you up. Um, you were at, at the time six three two sixty five. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a big dude. I'm six two two forty five, and yeah. I feel like I'm a pretty big person. Um, yeah, you're a big dude relative to most people, right? Yeah. And you got an inch at the time. You had an inch and and, and twenty pounds on me. And so I used to do. Um, jiu-jitsu and um uh brazilian jiu-jitsu and one thing that we had that we had talked about in doing that class um is so you might have two people who are like the same belt and you know this is just the way it was explained to me by the the coach there um but like you might have two people that are the same say like say they're both blue belts right blue belts no stripes but one of them weighs 30 pounds more than the other one Right. So the way he was explaining it was for every 10 pounds that person has on you is like having an additional stripe on their belt, you know? And so you got to think like six, three, two sixty five, and you're able to like move and pound people. And I mean, that, that's just, just, to me, it's just a scary thought. You know what I mean? Like how, how big was Brock Lesnar when he was in the cage? Do you, do you know? So, uh, so there's, they're all, they all weighed in at two sixty five too. And this, this, this is, this will go a little bit further than that on your question. So I walked around back then at like 290. So so my walk around weight right now I'm at like two, like 285, 290 right now today, and I'm not in shape like I should be, but I'm working on it. But back then I, I walked around big, and and full, and I was strong, and I would cut. So then the next day when you fight, I'd I'd be like 275, 279 on fight night. And so were all the guys that I was fighting. So like Brock, he's probably walking around at 300 pounds, cuts to 264. And then the next day he's 292. I mean, you just get that water weight back in you. That is insane. Like yeah, it's it, heavy. Yeah. The guy, no. the guy gets on you and they're that big. If they know what they're doing and they can keep like closing space down, and keep like constricting you, you just can't breathe, let alone get them off of you. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I got put up against the brown belt back when I was a white belt. And, um, and this guy was very good at just letting you work for any, any kind of uh, ground that you gained. And he was a bigger fella, right? And he would just lay on top of me. And at the time, I was probably like 220, 
And uh, he would just lay on top of me, chest to chest, if he needed to, whatever, smother my face so you can't breathe. And, like, I'm not typically claustrophobic unless I'm, like, you know, if you're in a cave that could collapse on you at any moment, then I am, you know, when you really get to start thinking about things like that. But, like, having this dude lay on top of me in this big open mat, and I'm like, I might fucking die here. Like, this is, I'm going to suffocate, I'm going to die, and that's just the end of it. I'm going to die under this guy. You know, and you get to, like, these panic modes, but that's, like, one of the benefits of training martial arts, right? It's handling yourself in those situations and being able to, like, take a pause for a second, think about your training, think about those tools that you sharpened, mm-hmm. think about, you know, all the experiences that led you up to this moment and then like trying to figure out a way to get out of there. And if you can't, you can't, that's fine. But like, it's a, it's a lesson learned for the future. Um, but when you do, you know, it's like, Oh shit. Like I, I now have a newfound confidence in my, in my skills that I didn't previously have. Um, there's, there's something to be said about putting yourself through like tests or adversity or doing things that are a struggle and make you make you grow and make you better. And and so many people are afraid to push themselves. They're just they've never done it. It feels uncomfortable. When they start, they don't like it and they quit. But but they don't realize once once you push through a little bit and, and you and you win or you learn something from that that hard thing that you did, then you're looking for the next hard thing. And you're and you're looking to keep getting better because it gets addictive. Like like winning is is winning is a drug. Like like doing better every day is a drug. But for me, like I'll just say for me, treating people well. Seeing them, seeing their a genuine smile and a genuine genuine reaction from someone that that I've helped over the course of the day for no reason, that that to me gets me fired up. But it, it, like I I love I love doing stuff that you don't have to because I enjoy I enjoy making someone else's life better when they're struggling. If that makes any sense. And I, and I've always enjoyed doing that. It's just been recently though, after my father passed away and, um, I started this mentorship group with my, uh, with my friend, uh, Vincent Rocco, uh, Rocco Vargas. Uh, you guys know him, you guys know him well. Um, and I, and I joined his team and he helped me through some, some pretty dark times after my dad died. Uh, we talked and I started implementing different things that his group does for each other. Uh, meditating, breathing, ice bath, getting up early, you know, staying on task, having a plan, like all, all the things that you should do anyway. I really started doing them again. And I started writing and I started, I, I started getting more creative. And in the last few months, my life has, it hasn't gotten better completely financially, but spiritually and and from a happiness standpoint, my life has done a full 180. I went from as low as you could go to I just wrote a I just wrote a book. Uh, I'm creating jewelry again. We're getting back out on the road to sell our jewelry. Um, 
there's just so many doors that are opened up now that I'm living in this positive space and going out of my way now lately to make other people happy is kind of my way of trying to say thank you to everyone that's ever done that for me. And I just really enjoy it. Dude. Um, no, that's, see, that's, that's, that's why, like, I was looking around, I mean, I, I didn't know most of this. I'm not, I'm not going to lie, but, um, you know, when I, when I looked at, when I looked at your social medias and I saw the things that you were doing and you scroll back to a certain point and you, you know, you, you get, you get past the jewelry and you get past some of the other stuff and you start to see like, you know, you, right. And then same as your, your, your regular profile, but like the things that you're trying to do for others. And so, it, and this is not exclusive to just veterans, right. It's in, it's yeah. anybody. Yeah. Anyone. Yeah. And and that's, that's something that like, I, I want the veteran community to kind of learn too, is that like, yeah, I mean, it's for one, we have to look out for each other, right? Because, you know, on veterans day, who is out there thanking other veterans for, uh, for, um, you know, who's, who's out there saying happy veterans day to other veterans, right? Typically veterans, um, or family members of veterans. Um, but you know, we make All up the restaurants tiny- I eat for free and there you go. All Apple those piece. restaurants, they always tell me yeah. <laughs> as I gobble up their steak. <laughs> but like it, it's 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 not it's not enough to just stop right there because we, we do make a small we do make up a small percentage of the uh, of the population and there are other people out there. And unfortunately, due to the last twenty years and mostly because of the first like I don't know, or like the middle eight years of the global war on terror, like some people's mindset of the military um was kind of skewed and made to be kind of bad. So if, if we're out there in the community and we're showing the civilian population that like, we're just like you, right. We're, there's no difference. That, that's the thing, right? Like we, we, we just want to contribute. We want to be a part of it. We're not crazy. We're not psycho just because we've been diagnosed with PTSD. Doesn't mean we're going to fly off the hinge. Cause I've been asked that before by yeah. people that I've, that I've uh, by jobs that I've worked at by like, um, girls that I've tried to date and they're like, yeah. so you have PTSD, right? So like, are, are you, are you safe? Like, <laughs> you know, so this is a way to be out there in the community so that, and be like, that stigma, like er, this, that's what people think, man. Like that's what they see on TV. That's what mm-hmm. they see in commercials. That's what they, that's what, that's what we've been portrayed as for so long. And whether that's a good or a bad thing, it's brought a lot of light to, to, you know, veterans suffering and needing help, but it's crazy how many people think that we're just going to snap and like, Oh man, you're, you're like a real killing machine, right? I shouldn't be around you. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm killing people every day at the mall and circle K whatever. Running around slaying people. Yeah. But but they've never been, they've never been subject to that world. So. Yeah. and, 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 and I say to that, um, uh, thankfully that they've never been, um, exposed to that that type of stuff because it's one thing and i remember back in the day being angsty about like you know the way people would talk about veterans and what we did over there and and being like well i wish you could go and experience it yourself and i think back to that and it's like no i don't i don't i don't want people to have to go over there i want us to go over there and do it because that's what we're trained to do like we are even though we're not like properly trained um psychologically to handle some of the things that we're going to deal with um I don't want the, the the standard American population to have to to go through that because it's not for them. Right? We want this no. world, 
we want this world to be full of peace. We, we don't, we don't want war. We don't want bad shit happening. Like, like no, and nobody wants that more than the veteran who served in combat. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, so to, to go back, if I could go back to every time that I said that to somebody, like I would definitely take it back. Um, because no, we don't, we don't want that for everybody. No. We don't want everyone exposed to that and then be walking around unhinged, you know, ready to pop. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, and all we, don't, of that. we don't even want that. We don't even want that for, a lot of the troops that are in. Yeah. I had, I had people that I worked with that I I would never want them to have to do anything tough because even though they're in the military, they're just not that person. Yeah. And, and, you know, they happen to be in the unit or they happen to, you know, happen to be there, but they're not the, they're not the guy you want going out there in front of you, you know? So, it's it's a very small percentage of people that can do hard things. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree. Nowadays you need to have guys like us around. Um it's yeah. not exactly a hundred percent safe out there with these shootings and things like that. Yeah. And guess look at that. It's not veterans doing those shootings, guys. It's no, it's no. you guys, not you guys, you know, everyone else. It's nice yeah. to have veterans around uh, you know, guide some to to help out in those particular situations. Because, you know, you know, anyone, anyone at that point that's willing to put themselves in harm's way to stop a situation like that, God bless them. Whether it's whether it's the first responding officers, whether it's a civilian, whether it's a veteran, if man, my God, when, when these when these people are killing innocent, innocent civilians, kids. Adults, we're, we're, for whatever weird ass reason they have, when they're doing that, I, I always think to myself, I hope someone like me or, or someone I know that I've worked with is around for the next one. I hope I'm there or someone that I've worked with is there so that we can stop that situation. And that doesn't mean I'm I, like, I'm hoping that violent acts happen. I, I don't, I, I hate all that stuff, but the right people are all over this country and doing the right thing is hard and, and standing up is hard and, and protecting others is hard, but there's a lot of people out there that, that will gladly do it. Yeah. I can't think of how many times I've thought, after watching a shooting at a school or something like, man, I wish I was there. I, I, right. Or even why can't that happen when I'm around so I can do something? Sure. And that's, that's that sure. military. That's that mentality that we can save everybody. And not, we not can't necessarily save everybody. We could save one, you know, sure. that's all we need to do is save one. And I, uh, that's I don't we, say, I don't say it out loud very often. Cause you always hear people like, Oh, I wish I was there. I would have done this, this, or like, and you, and you hear this person that just starts rambling on. That's not the guy. Yeah, that, no. that guy probably wouldn't do anything. Like it's yeah, the guys exactly. that are sitting back, like watching that stuff, and it really hurts us to watch it. Mm-hmm. And, and you wish you were there because you know what you would have did in that situation. You're not just trying to talk about it. Yeah, it's yeah. Definitely so I get those, where you're coming from. A lot of uh, um you know, what they call them armchair uh, quarterbacks or keyboard yeah. warriors, right. Who, who, mm-hmm. man, if I was there, I would have done this or, you know, and I've, 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 you know, we've, I think we've all encountered that person who was like, sure. Oh, if they had done that when I was there, I would have done this. I would have pulled this. I would have, 
blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and I, and I want to ask them, I was like, have you ever in your life been in that type of scenario? <laughs> because just like my drill sergeant said, you don't know if you can pull the trigger until it's time to pull the trigger. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You don't know what you uh, are going to do or not going to do. You don't know if you're going to piss yourself or if you're going to, you know, suddenly turn into John Rambo. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just, you don't know until you get there, but right. that, that doesn't mean though. And, and I, and I, and I say this, uh, and I, I mean this, I want everybody listening and, and watching this to understand this. Like we do live in a semi-violent world. Uh, violence happens. And if you are coasting through life, being unprepared, like willfully being unprepared for, uh, for that type of stuff to happen, then you're setting yourself up for failure. It's, it's borderline, um, um, a death sentence. Like, because if you do find yourself in these situations where you can't, uh, where you can't handle yourself, um, or you don't know how to handle yourself or you don't know how to handle the pressure of being in these situations, then you've just set yourself up. Um, because these things do happen randomly all over. Um, you don't know when they're going to happen. You don't know who's going to be around. You don't, I mean, and so it's just, so I don't understand why there's not more people learning a martial art, right? Like, why are we not putting our kids in organized sports? Why are we not going through these things? Because these are the things that will help prepare you and yeah. your kids and your loved ones for these events when they happen. Yep. And I, 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 you know, I, I like, like you said, I don't ever want this to happen to anybody ever, but if it does happen, I want to be there so that I know, because I know, I know what I've been through. I know what I'm trained to do and, and I'm okay with doing those things again, if need be. Um, and I, I would, I would rather be the one, you know, um, than me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. 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 Yes. Than me. Yeah. And, and, and there's, there's a lot of us out there that feel that way. Mm. And, and so, so I know that, good people still exist and, and I, and I don't buy into all the media back and forth on either side. I I try to stay right down the middle and stay in my lane, do what I can do to make my life better and the people around me. I don't, I don't get into all that too often. Uh, when, when my father died though, I did, I did have a meeting with, with my mom, very serious meeting. And I said, you know, mom, you've been, you've been with dad for, you know, over 50 years. Um, and he's always, he's always been the, the guy, the, the guy that would protect us. And then I, I, you know, as I grew up, I'm, I'm part of that too. Well, dad's not here and I need you to, I need you to start, you know, doing things a little different when you're by yourself. Like when you, when you go to pick up, you know, my sister's kids for daycare or whatever, make sure you get them all in the vehicle, close the door, get inside, lock the doors, then buckle them up. You know, you don't want kids being grabbed from you. Like, you know, there's kids being abducted a lot around here lately. And we went over just basic safety for certain weird scenarios like that, that my mom would never think about. But my mom has four little girls with her every day. Uh, Three of them are identical triplets and they're just getting ready to turn three or four and then a six-year-old. So she's got these little kids and they're always with her. And it would be, it would be nothing for someone that wanted to grab up a couple 
young girls to grab them from her and she wouldn't be able to do anything. So we went through a lot of scenarios because we live in a, in a very different world, I would say, or we, at least we're seeing it now more because of media. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how different it is, but it seems different to me. <clears throat> yeah. I think yeah, it's no, 100% different from uh, just a few decades ago from the, from yeah. 1993 until now it's a completely different planet. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of civilians out there got to understand that. Like, uh, you can't depend on the cops to do no. everything. You can't depend not, not on for the, everything. Yeah, you can't depend on that security guard when things pop off. Uh, you need to have a fucking plan, 100%. At least be able to hold your own, yeah. right, for yeah. a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. You know what and I mean? I talk, you know, on my, on my personal page, I, I do these, like, check-ins every few days, like, like where I just talk about something random. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I feel is important for Americans or for dads or for kids or whatever. And this is the stuff that we're talking about. I, I talk about a lot of this stuff um, every day and you do, you do, you have to have a plan. Like we're, we're, it's not good enough anymore to just send your kid off to school and let them come home and kiss them on the head and let them go to bed and, and not know what's going on in their life. Um, there's, there's too much stuff out there. Technology is too good. There's too many predators. There's too many drugs and, and dirty drugs. It's just, we live in a crazy time, man. We really do. Um, and it's, uh, and you know, I can't predict the future, but it doesn't look like it's getting a ton better. Um, you mentioned earlier that you wrote a book. I did. Uh, I did not see that in your stuff. Where is this? Book? Tell me about this book. Let's learn about so that. So this book. So this this book is uh, something I did for the for for the men's group for Light the Fuse with with Rocco. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but I did something a little bit different than uh, than the collective did. I, I wrote a whole a whole book, uh, and I did it for just my own self betterment, self improvement. Um, I, I talk about growing up with my dad and how his influence and his uh, discipline helped me get through a lot, a lot of my life. Uh, talk about his passing and how hard that was for me. Uh, talk about my vices and um, what what I'm what I'm most sad about in my life as far as things that I've done to create problems for others, mainly girls. I was, I, I, I used to chase the ladies. That was my vice. I wasn't an alcoholic. I, I never got addicted to drugs or anything. I was addicted to girls and I did not, I did not treat them with the respect and love that they should have received because I was a young, stupid guy. And a lot of the book talks about that. And I apologize for a lot of things that I've done wrong and what I'm looking forward to in the future with faith and, and stuff like that. So it's just like a self, I don't know. It's just a, a, just a brain dump of, of, of thoughts in my head of uh, just wanting to get the past out into the light and live, live life as a better man and father and husband and all that good stuff. So this book's not published out. It's not out yet. Not, not yet. I just, I just finished writing it. Um, 
couple weeks ago. I still got to refine a couple things. I'm doing illustrations right now because I love art. So mm-hmm. I, I'm drawing, drawing a bunch of funny sketches and stuff in there too. Um, so it's, it's a work in progress. Yeah. I'm well, I guess it's sitting there right next to you. <laughs> uh, I keep looking at my phone. Yeah. Some of it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool, man. Uh, whenever it comes out, man, you're going to have to let us know so we can, uh, yeah, we, we, we've had, a, we've had a few folks on, on who've uh, written some books and, uh, we try and try and push those out to our, to our listeners and our, our yeah, viewers. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And, hey, um, you. it'll go up on our, uh, future website that we are in the progress of making. Um, cool. oh, yeah. but, uh, so yeah, actually Tyree and I, well, well actually I, I'm, that reminds me Tyree after this, I need to talk to you about that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to make a note of that. Um, office. Yeah. But, uh, so, and you said you love art. Now I see back behind you there. You have three pieces of art. Yeah. Are, are those your works? Uh, so the Grim Reaper with the 60 over here is a big watercolor. I did when they, when they closed our schoolhouse down. Um, so I did that one. Uh, this one right behind me is one of the rings we make. So I did a big sculpture of it and put it on canvas. That's actually, we did that, uh, me and Brittany, my, my wife, we, we, we used to do a podcast and we were going to start doing a podcast again. Um, like as recently as last month and she's, she's pregnant. So we started doing it and she's been real tired lately. So we kind of scrapped it for now. So that's that one. And then that's, uh, my buddy's dad did that one. And that's a Tillman. Yeah. How did you that's get into uh, the art, man? I mean, not art, but jewelry. Cause that's, I mean, I haven't heard of too many people around who hand carve their own badass jewelry. Yes. Yeah, so all growing up, my, like I, the two things I was blessed with were I had a good right hand for throwing, whether that's punches or baseballs, and I can draw. So my whole life I drew, created art, uh, in the military, I did murals for, you know, squadron buildings and paintings on floors before they polish them stuff. I I did big art, like, I guess, projects for different units and, and help tattoo artists draw tattoos so they can keep, you know, tattooing instead of drawing. They, They make more money if they have a drawing done for them sometimes. So I did that with a couple artists and got a bunch of free tattoos done. And then after the military, uh, when I, before I started fighting, I, I was just painting all the time. I, I did oil paintings, watercolors, drawings, and I was doing it because I was going crazy. I didn't have a purpose. I was at my sister's house. It was just me and my dog living in a room. I barely came out. I was always in like, you know, like, uh, my little silkies or a pair of underwear, just painting. And I'd only come out if I needed food, which consisted of like Cheetos and Mountain Dew, or I needed to take a shower. And I did that for like a year. So I did all these crazy, crazy big works of art. And I just gave them away. Like I wasn't, I was just doing it just to do it. I wasn't doing it for a business or anything. And um, I, that really like, showed me that when people started wanting to buy my stuff, I was like, okay, well, cool. I, I'll start selling stuff and then I don't have to fight as much. Or then, you know, I can fight this guy instead of that guy. And I'll take a smaller 
fight purse to not get my jaw broke. So um, that led me to meet some guys that did jewelry. Uh, I worked for them after I quit fighting for about five years. Went all over the country selling jewelry at bike shows like Sturgis and Daytona Beach and all the big rallies. Learned learned the industry, and then I just I figured I could do it myself. I put my 90 days in with them, uh, started a nonprofit, and me and uh, five well five of us. Uh, Ruck March from San Diego to Washington, D.C. to raise money for wounded veterans uh, and raise money for uh, awareness for veteran suicide. So we did 22 miles a day uh, across the whole country. Mm. That took us almost six months. Um, and when I, when I came back, I approached the company that I used to work for, and I said, hey, I, you know, I really I think my calling is to help veterans. I really want to make some veteran jewelry or some warrior-based jewelry that means something to the veteran community. Do you guys want to let me do that with you? And they were opening a new store and they, you know, it wasn't really their thing. So they said no. And I told them I was going to do it myself. And I hooked up with an old buddy and we just, we just did it, man. And we've been making really cool jewelry for a while now. Dude, no, it is. It, it is. Yeah. Hey, keep talking. It'll come up. It's it an understatement to say that these can things look it? good. Yeah, yeah, we can see it. So this one's all silver, but this is the cool thing. So that one was sterling silver. This one, if you if you see see all the damage that's done to this one, mm-hmm. that's because this is made out of spent brass shell casings. So we take uh, shell casings from either uh, military funerals from the twenty one gun salute or uh, maybe around you shot overseas, you send me the, the shell casing and I can turn it into uh, jewelry that you can have forever. So, so our, now I make jewelry specifically for vets and first responders. A lot of people wear it that aren't in that uh, lane just because it's cool artwork, but it all tells the story of like freedom and triumph and every piece has a story and we give give quite a bit back to different military nonprofits with, with our uh, proceeds. So it's, it's fun. I, I love doing it. Yeah. I have Dude. to tell the listeners like, uh, again, you guys, if you aren't watching, it looks like a freaking work of art that is going to leap off your finger. These things. It's so, so fucking cool, man. I can't stress it enough. Thanks, man. When I first saw, uh, I think it was like a, something with Kobe Bryant on it that you did. I'm like, oh, Holy yeah. shit. It's like, he's leaping. It, it, it looks yeah. 3d. It looks fu- awesome. No, no. I can't, I can't stress the it Kobe, enough. The Kobe pendant I wanted to do as if it was going to be a, like a statue put mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so I, so I did it hyper detailed. Um, dude, if you like, if you like that piece, we'll, we'll talk, man. Oh, uh, man. It's, it's a really good collector's item. Yeah. Every, everything dude. you got on there is, is mind blowing. No, and, and so and, and so Tyree had sent me some of these images some uh, some time ago. Um, I guess when you guys first started talking or something. Yeah. And uh, and I was just floored. I, I honestly got thought these were just like uh, I don't know what I thought they were, but like the the detail that's in these things. Like I was just looking at this one, uh, your Thor ring, 
and like the detail in it, the fact that you're able to carve out like the Volknut and the Vegvisir and the Aish the Omer, the, the, the detail in his beard. Yeah. Um, and that, that Kobe one, I was just looking at it. It is insane. Like I, I cannot believe that these are like, and what's crazy is you would expect these with the, with the, with the details you have in them, you would expect them to be large, but yeah. they're, they're not, they go on your fingers. You know what I mean? And you, you have probably big ass, like banana hand fingers, right? Cause you're a giant guy, <laughs> but average. you know what I mean? Like, but these, the, 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 the detail to be that good. It's just, it's so, literally yeah. insane. Yeah. I'll tell you, uh, uh, let, let me make this way easier to comprehend. Okay. So if I was Michelangelo and I was carving like a stone, like statue, you're, you're carving this big scale so you can, can do little details and stuff. So when I'm doing these, it's in a 3D, um, it's in a 3D sculpting program, several of them on, on the computer. So I can expand something as big as I want to, to carve detail, but the wax and the metal have to be able to retain it also. So it's a fine line. Like if you go too crazy, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. If you don't go crazy enough, it just looks flat. It's, it's very, it's a very long process. So the one of the goat, right, with uh, Michael yeah. Jordan, it's a necklace pendant. Jordan? Yeah. I can see the veins in his arms. Yeah. I can see the the muscle striations in his legs. You know, uh, I can see how he ties his shoes. Sure. It's, cr- it's 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 insane. Like, I imagine keep... imagine just making a Play-Doh, like take Jordan's leg, for instance. Imagine making it in Play-Doh in front of you and like molding the shape you wanted. Then you just got to cut the striations in, you know, and take that away. You got to roll up the big long worm and lay it in and make the vein. And it's, it's just like playing with, with dough, man. I mean, the, the level of patience that goes into that. Like, oh, yeah. You have, tell tell us about that. Time. Tell us about that. As a veteran like me, I have uh, anxiety, man. <laughs> I got pop up. We're all, what is it? Uh, what is it? ADHD. Look at that. It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Uh, so for me to sit there and, and do the meticulous work that you'd have to do with that, how did you deal with that? It, I, some people would find it calming. Some people find it a little, little too much. I think it'd probably be a little calming because it's for me, it's calming. Yeah. When, when I'm, when I'm writing, when I'm painting, when I'm sculpting, or if I'm like, uh, if I'm doing anything that takes like a, a great degree of like, I guess, patience or, or concentration, that's when all my anxieties go away. Mm. So, so if I'm not doing something, that's when I'm like bouncing off the walls, looking for something to do. Yeah. You know, like my, my dad, when he retired, he couldn't sit still for 10 minutes. That guy, like, Hey, I'm going to go get an ice cream from McDonald's. Hey, I got to go to Home Depot to buy a wrench. Like, hey, I'm going to go whatever and get some flowers for your mom. He he couldn't sit still for 10 minutes. And and I didn't want to be like that because I like it to be calm. So this this is my I guess it's like meditation for me. Everyone needs it, man. I promise. Yeah, we need it, it bro. Yeah, I promise yeah. if if you have any heavy anxiety out there, if you can just pick up any kind of hobby. It doesn't matter what it is, man. Uh, painting, uh, like the yeah. anvil here, making these beautiful rings. 
doing a podcast, writing a book, anything to get your mind off of that in a positive mm-hmm. way is something very cool. I'm the I'm gonna sidetrack for a second. The the group with the that you guys have with Rocco and everything, mm-hmm. I keep seeing yeah. the the screenshots for that. I'm like, ah, I gotta get into one of those. That group seemed like it was extremely influential to you. Um, awesome. We cannot yeah, stress, yeah, we can't stress about how important it is for other veterans and other like-minded people. Because you don't have to be a veteran. Because I know not everyone's listening to the show as a veteran. Uh, you can get together and form some awesome shit if you guys just talk. Sure. You know, share so, so with the group. Yeah. Uh, uh, let, let me tell you what the group has done for me in the last three months. So I have a lot of really close, good friends from the military that I still talk to. We still go to ball games. We like, we, you know, we message on social media, send memes. We do all the normal stuff. A lot of those guys, I probably wouldn't burden with my troubles. So if I'm starting to feel depressed or if I'm starting to feel, you know, anxiety or, you know, I'm worried about paying bills, I'm probably not going to call one of my buddies that I served with and I love to death and, and put a damper on his day or make him feel like he's got to fix my problem. But in this group of other like-minded men, mostly veterans uh, put together by Rocco, we're encouraged to bring what's troubling us to the table. And everybody is able to be in that vulnerable spot where, where you don't want to be as a man. If you're a masculine guy, you don't want to be in a vulnerable position and look weak. In this group, we're all the same, and we all know that we have vulnerabilities, so we help each other. And in the last three or four months, I've been able to, to not only scratch the surface of my traumas, and the things that bother me, but I've been able to just completely smash where I was hiding them, like where I was burying them and, and got to let all that go. And you know what? It was this last couple of months. I haven't cried more than I have in my whole life. And like, you couldn't, I've cried more in the last two months than I have my whole life. Not all, not all in a, in a, in a horrible way, but crying because of a release of negative energy, a release of things that I've been worried about that happened, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and getting past all those things so that I can live in a warm place of of love and, and happiness and spread that to others. And that's all happened in this last three months with men that I didn't know. I, I didn't know any of these guys, but there's like five or six of them. Like when we do the group chat, you'll see all these dudes on the Zoom call. There's like 20, 30, 40 dudes on there. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. But there's a group of like five of these guys. I talk to them every day. Like every day we're, we send a message of like encouragement or ask how, you know, the other guys, thing went like how'd your test go how's your you know how the the work project go and and we talk and it's different than talking to my buddies that i shared a foxhole with because i can be 
they never knew me before. They only know me from this group and they know that I'm trying to be an amazing father and they respect that. So I can be vulnerable around them and they can be vulnerable around me and we can make it work as a collective. And dude, it's whatever Rocco's doing, man, I want to be a part of for a long time because it is amazing. And what I've seen him do for these other guys, it's like night and day, man. Like it's like you see a grumpy dude one day, a couple weeks go by, and all of a sudden this dude's sharing a little bit. And then he's he's smiling. Hey guys, I just got a new job. Hey guys, I'm finishing the car that I've always wanted to finish. And everybody encourages it. And everybody wants to see what you're doing. So you're eager to tell your story, which makes you want to keep doing it. It's it's cool, man. I'm I'm having a good time. Oh man. Sounds awesome, man. I, 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 I <clears throat> it sounds awesome. I can't uh, awesome. I'm over here choking up thinking about it like man. Uh, we're getting ready to do a, a retreat also. We're getting ready to go meet up as a collective. This was the first team. Uh, so always call it, we always call each other team one. Just kind of a little funny inside joke. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, team one, we're always going to be the best, right, Rocco? It's just, it, it, for him, I'm sure it's like, uh, like being a drill instructor with, you know, some new troops that just came in, but, um, we're having a good time, but we're having a retreat where, we're going to go meet up uh, in person and do a bunch of bunch of things that Rocco's setting up, like team building stuff. So I, I'm looking forward to that as a fat old man getting out there and making a fool of myself. Well, and, and for folks that, that are listening and watching that don't exactly know who we're talking about, we're talking about Vincent Rocco Vargas, right, um, uh, Army Ranger. Uh, yeah. Did a little work with uh, Matt Best in the uh, the um, Article 15 uh, line and YouTube videos. Yeah. And, um, has, has since then since like ventured off and now he's in the TV show Mayans. Yep. Um, and, yeah, border patrol. He did, he worked for border patrol. He was a U.S. army reserve drill sergeant. That's where I met him at the drill sergeant yeah. school. He and I went to school together. Baseball and, enthusiast. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, enthusiast. well, one thing that I know about him is that whatever he's into, he's an enthusiast. Right. Oh, yeah. And fortunately for the veteran community, he is into that. Right. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's super it's super fucking cool to see somebody who can garner as much success as he's as he has and still be that connected to the veteran oh, community and want to like, he is actively trying to make the veteran community better. Yeah. Um, he's a different kind of guy, man. He's, yeah. He is a very, very special person. Yeah. And so that's the thing is like, this isn't, this isn't stuff that he's doing in the public eye for like, to, to gain attention and to make it seem like he's Mr. Good guy. A lot of this stuff, people may not exactly know that he's the guy behind it. And, 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 and and that's fine with him. He's just want, he just wants to make veterans uh, succeed. And that's, and that's, that's amazing. I'll give you guys something. I'll get, I'll I'll talk to you guys about something that that has to deal with that, that his group and what he's doing from my standpoint, that, I didn't think I would. I didn't think I was going to talk about this with you guys, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell you what he's actually done for me, uh, or what the group, what Rock has actually done for me. A um, few months ago, my dad died. Uh, he he had a heart attack in his sleep. Um, my mom tried to resuscitate him and got some blood flow through CPR on the bed. Uh, first responders got there about 
nine minutes later. And by the time my dad was at the hospital, they had a pulse, uh, but it had been like 40 something minutes. Um, my dad has overcame meningitis in his brain twice in the last five years. So he's been basically in ICU multiple times in the last few years. And every time we thought my dad was going to die. Uh, when when the doctors were looking at his brain, they told us he was going to die. He, he came back. Second time, told us he was going to die. He came back. My dad ha- was suffering with uh, primary lateral, lateral sclerosis for 20 years, so like Lou Gehrig's disease, kind of like that. Um, never used a cane, never used a walker, never used a wheelchair. Just tough as nails. The, the strongest guy you could imagine was always there for me in everything I did. So he, he dies uh, from this heart attack. He didn't have enough lane, uh, blood flow to his brain. So, so he passed away. And at that time, me and, me and Brittany were closing our store. We had, a, we had a retail shop, and the rent went up double for the new lease, and we couldn't afford it. So we were closing our business. So I'm at this really low point. I'm losing my business. My wife is pregnant. I don't know how I'm going to make money. And my dad died. And we're supposed to be going on this trip to Utah to compete in a veteran entrepreneur competition called Warrior Rising, the nonprofit that helps veteran uh, entrepreneurs. So... We had put, we had invested all this money into making jewelry and going up to this thing. And my dad dies the day we're flying out. So we go up there and I'm not doing good. We, we get through our pitch in front of all these CEOs and I mean, hundreds of people there and all these veterans that have amazing products and are doing amazing things for the veteran community are, are pitching. And we have pretty good stuff. I've been around a while. We have a good brand. We've done a lot. So our pitch went really well. But we didn't win. So we didn't win the money we needed to to get back home and square ourselves away. And when I came home from this thing, I was just defeated. Like, I didn't care that we lost the the show. That that didn't bother me because the people that won were amazing. I was upset that I let my wife and family down and didn't show our product in a, in a way that could have helped us win. I wasn't, I wasn't mad that we got beat. I was mad that I didn't perform correctly because my head was not good from my dad's death. And I, and I put on a huge front. No, I don't think anybody knew my dad had died there. We, we were doing all the things right and shaking hands and hugs and all that stuff. Uh, but I was not in that space mentally. We get home and now reality sets in. I'm behind on bills. I don't have a store. My dad's gone. I, I don't know what I, what am I going to do? I, I don't know. I don't know how to get out of this hole. I've invested all my life, my last, you know, five years of my life into this thing that takes all kinds of money. And I don't have anything to keep going. So I, I was, I was going to smoke myself and 
Um, my wife was getting ready to go to see her doc and do a, do an ultrasound on our son. And I made sure that my pistol was, was where it normally is. I said goodbye to her, went in the other room, and she went and got my pistol. She took it with her to the doctor's, and she called Rocco. She didn't, she didn't know him. She only knew that he was helping me and that I was doing really well with this group, and, and she knew that I needed to talk to someone. She called him, and... I was looking for my gun and my phone rang and it was Rocco. And I knew right then that my wife called him because I couldn't find my pistol. And he said, Hey Paul, he goes, what's going on, man? I said, Oh, you know, I'm just trying to get the business going, man. We're kind of behind our bills. It'll be okay. Trying to just bullshit through the call. Right. And he, and he's like, he's like bullshit, man. He goes, what the fuck's going on? He goes, this is your time. You're going to talk to me. And, and we just talked. They said, look, you gotta, you gotta trust this process. Please help me help you. Please do these things for me and I'm going to help you. And I'm like, why is this guy, why is this guy helping me? What does he want from me? Everybody always wants something from you. Like when I, when I was fighting, everybody wanted something from me. Hey, Paul, can you get me in touch with this guy? Or, hey, Paul, can you get me one of those shirts? Or, can you get me some of those gloves? Or, hey, hey, when are you going to see this guy again? Everybody wants something. Rocco didn't want anything from me. He wanted me to be alive. He wanted me to be okay. So, I, I told him I'd, I told him I'd step it up and, and, you know, do the things that he was asking. And when you join this mentorship group, there's, all kinds of things you have to do. You have to do some assessments and you have to, you have to do some different things and it gets you ready for, you know, what you're going to do over the course of your time with, with the group. And, um, yeah, Rocco and and Brittany, my wife, they, they 100% saved my life. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad they did, man. Cause it's, it's let me meet people like you guys and it's getting our business to a better place. And life is so precious and, and we have, we have so much opportunity to do good, not only for ourselves, but for others. I, I'm just really happy that I'm here to still do that. And I got Dude. tears over here. I can't even hold it together. Man, Man well, for, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm thankful for. I don't plan on talking about that today, but hey, hey man, you thank know, you so much for sharing that with us because that's uh, not easy. yeah. Uh, we, we've had yeah, no, thank yeah, for real, thank you because there's a lot of people that need to hear that stuff. I mean, Tyree and I have had a lot of guests on the show, and we've also been able to open up about our own stuff. I mean, like, I mean. I talked about my experiences with the same thing uh, some time ago, year, year and a half ago, whatever, when I wasn't intending to, but like the show kind of went that direction and it needed to be talked about. Right. And when you yeah. talk about it in this, like in this, in this, like this kind of public way, it kind of help helps put it into perspective. And man, like I'm, 
Like if anyone if anyone hears our stories, could be one person that's having that shitty day. If you can help that one fucking person from not hurting themselves, which causes this rippling effect through so many lives, like we got we got to stick together. Like we have to help each other. We have to help each other stop this cycle, you know? And I hate even talking about it. I'd, I'd rather talk about anything positive. And, and by being positive and helping people get to that place, you save people too every day. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and Tyree and I have, uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing, right? We've talked a, a lot offline. We've talked a lot on the show and, and what it comes down to is even if like Tyree had said earlier, like even if we can just, you know, save just one, right. If, yeah. if just, just one person, um, you know, can hear these stories and says, you know what? Yeah. Like there, there is something worth living for. There is something. Cause I mean, like, uh, you know, I, I'd been there twice, mm-hmm. um, to that, to that point. And fortunately it was my, my dog that <laughs> helped me pull, pull me back. You know what I mean? Um, You're awesome, man. man, yeah, yeah. You can't, uh, really Dogs like really. And, uh, so yeah, it, it, so it's just, a, it's just a thing, man. So like, and that's, that's the thing. Yeah. If we can just help just one person, but like, I mean, dang Rocco and your wife, dude, like, yeah, that's, I, I, I mean, it's, I was really mad. I like when I saw the phone, bro, I, I, this is where I was mentally. I was fucking mad at my wife for calling Rocco and, and telling him that I was less than strong. You know, like I was so mad at that. I was like, how could you do that to me? You totally fucking betrayed me. And I didn't say these things out loud, but in my head, I'm like, you fucking bitch. Like, why would you do this to me? But you know what? Over the next couple of days, when I talked to my kids or my, or my dog jumped up on me and gave me a big old like gnaw on the head and licked me. Like I started realizing every little thing that I wouldn't have mm-hmm. if I was just dead, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have this big giant dog with nasty breath licking my face and making me laugh my ass off if I wasn't here. Dude, my exactly. mom wouldn't have someone to come help her, you know, do something at the house if I wasn't here. Yeah. Those are responsibilities. And those are things that are, they're blessings. Like money isn't the only thing that has value. Like gold, money, diamonds, those things are so materialistic and so overpriced and overhyped. The things in value that the things in life that have value are the things that make us feel the best. And, and that could be your, your wife. That could be your kids. That could be music. That could be like, you know, looking at the sun too long and your eyes hurt, whatever it is for you, John Denver, like you do whatever you want. No. And that's the thing, man. About looking at the sun or something. (laughs) But that's the thing is that those are, like all those things, like the, and we realize these things when we're deployed, right. And we come back and we're, we're, we're over, we're over there and, and, you know, and you don't have a toilet seat, right. You're, you're sitting in a box right. and you're burning it and you, you don't have a, a bed. You don't have AC. You're sleeping on the ground. You're sleeping on two by fours or not two by four, but plywood. You're, yeah. you know, if you're getting sleep at all, right. Cause what's a, what's a night's sleep when you're deployed. And it's these things that when you come back and you're like, Oh man, I took all those things for granted. And then, 
you lose track of those things because you spiral for whatever reason it may be. And then something like that happens. And then like, you start to realize like, you, you know, I used to get mad at when my dogs would go outside and it had just rain and they'd come inside and they'd track mud through the house. And I got like paw prints over the place. And then I had this like thought like one day dogs have a shorter life compared to us, right? Yeah. One day that they're not going to be here anymore. And I'm never going to see those paw prints again. Yep. And then I, then I, then I'm like, Okay, so it's actually kind of cute, and I actually really kind of adore my my dog's paw prints through the house. Do you know what I mean? And it's those small things that like we're just never going to get again if right. if 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 we had done that one thing. Yeah, and that's that's I mean, people gotta start thinking like that, man. And we, like you said, like we have to be there for our, our veterans. Like, and thank God, fucking Rocco was able to like like Johnny on the spot with the phone call. Dude. You know yeah. what I mean? Had had he, had he missed your wife's call? Uh, you know, but yeah, a hundred percent. And, and you know what? She didn't even call him. She messaged him on Instagram from our business account because she knew we were talking. Me and him had been talking about some stuff on there. So she knew that he would respond on there. So she hit him on Instagram and then deleted the messages as they were talking. So I wouldn't see it. They were pretty crafty, man. They got me. Sounds like you got, got a good life, man. Out. I got a, I got a really good wife. She, she was, uh, she was a CB in the Navy. So she's a hard worker. She's, oh, shit. she's awesome. Okay. Yeah, she's, she's tough, man. She's tough. That's good. She's big right now. She's, we got about, we're supposed to have a month until our son's born, but he's, and everybody always talks about all these numbers, whatever it is. He's in there. I don't know how big he is, but they think he's in the like the ninety seventh percentile of height and weight and everything. Mm-hmm. So they want him to be delivered sooner than her her due date. Yeah. So he might be coming in the next couple of weeks instead of the next month. And dude, I can't wait, man. It's my first little boy, so I'm excited. It is. I mean, you have you already got kids. You, you said that, but having that that boy, man, my son, I I almost passed out watching it for one. If you haven't had any kids, don't watch it. Just stay on the other side of it. <laughs> Goddamn. But uh, to hold your own boy and to watch that person grow. Like, my boy is 14 right now, and he's taller than me. Like, we yeah. went in to buy him gloves for football, and I'm like, yeah, he can wear my size gloves. No. No. Dude, Anthony is massive. He's a beast. Yeah, he's, he's already in – extra large gloves at 17 he's he's got to be awesome. knocking on the six foot two door right now right, a, man. and just to watch it grow not watch it watch him grow is is That's incredible sure. yeah it's incredible man and i'm glad you're going to get to have that opportunity to, to watch yeah, i'm excited because i got i got three little girls and my sister has four little girls so it's like a little army of estrogen and 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 ponytails running around. He's gonna have he's gonna have a tough time, man. I'm gonna have to keep him in a lot of uh, sports programs. Oh yeah, keep him away. From the hey, but that'll be that that'll be good for him though, right? Because I mean, I, I grew up with two older sisters, and I, yeah. I I I I got to listen, got to. I was forced to listen to you know all their all their woes and problems, and and that I think that helped me. You know, later on in life, um, probably made you smart with the ladies. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe I don't no, know. No, I I, I, I'm, 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 I have yet to figure that part out. Yeah. <laughs> Work in progress, tough, man. Tough. 
but that's so uh that's man but i'm i'm glad you shared that story i mean because that's that's the stuff that people that you know that people need to hear and that's the stuff that we need to talk about i'm starting to realize that more you know like like when we were doing we did the ruck march across america as as great a thing as it was it was still from like an ego standpoint you know like like I, I was doing it as much for me as I was for other people at that point in my life. We, we used all the money we raised to help veterans in need. We didn't, we didn't keep anything, but if I were to do it again, I would do it differently uh, because it, it was still ego driven at that point for me. My life is just different than that now. And it's, it's so much more fun. You guys went through Arkansas. I saw in one of the posts or pictures you sent me that there was a flag, a, a, some girl holding the Arkansas flag. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that, that was Kelly. Yep. Okay, that, that's that's here. That's my home. That's where I am. That's where you're at. Yeah, you yeah, likely. It was fun, man. What do you we, do? You got to go to the Capitol and all kinds of stuff. Okay, so you went down towards Little Rock. Did you? You probably came in mm-hmm. through Fort Smith, um, right there on the yeah. border. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I've was, actually. It was rough. Did you actually walk? Rough. Yeah, we get that a lot. Uh, now you actually right. probably walked right through my hometown, actually, uh, right there on the bo- border of uh, Oklahoma and Arkansas when you come in Arkansas. Maybe I, could, I could I could probably bring up the the track route. somewhere and show you. Arkansas <clears throat> was just bugs. Yeah, when, when we the time we went through, bro, I it was like going through the the Amazon or something. I had sugars <laughs> all over me. Yeah. Like I like my legs were just embedded with bug bites. It was crazy. But it's fun. Now we're coming up on that season too. Like we our our bug population is insane here. Like it, it, we can have a brutal winter where we're like below zero for a week or two or three at a time. And I say that brutal I mean obviously people up north yeah. have it yeah. worse, right? Um, but like it's, and we, we look forward to those winters because that's what kills off a lot of these bugs. And yet in the summertime, we still just get, you get attacked, man. You cannot walk near a window without getting, getting eaten up by something outside. You've got to wrap your body with like three M wrap or something. They they loved me. Half the team was fine. I was just, they crushed me. I must've tasted (laughs) like syrup or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's wild, man. Stay, stay, uh, stay here in LA. No bugs. The smog no bugs. and everything else will kill you, but the bugs, you're okay. So I've been uh, in LA in a while. Hey, come on down, man. All right, so this this show is uh, we got to shut this one down, man. It's coming cool. to the end, cool. and uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show with us. I appreciate it, guys. Uh, I really appreciate it. It was really fun. It was a lot of fun. Give me all your social media, all everything you got. Let's hear it. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. right here. Yeah, yeah. Drop it off. Let, okay. let these people so, hear. Uh, so, so my business social uh, for the jewelry line is at Anvils A N V I L S underscore Cache, and I don't think there's an underscore after that. And then my personal one is at underscore the underscore Anvil underscore. For some reason, I went through a phase where I really liked underscore. Yeah, you're just killing it with that. There's a lot of them. And then hey, our, our, our podcast one has uh, has a, like 100 underscores too. So, yeah. yeah. I got to separate the words for people, you know? Yeah. And then on Facebook, it's just Anvil Cache or Anvil O'Keefe. All right, man. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, and uh, 
at the end of the video, so I'm going to do all the YouTube stuff. And so at the end of the video, we're going to, I'm going to put, if you don't mind, I'm going to put a bunch of your, uh, your works in the, um, at the end of the video. So people, people watching, um, if you could stay tuned for until after the video, uh, comes to an end, like it normally does. And you'll be able to see, um, I've got, you sent me quite a few, so I've got, uh, several of them that I'm going to, I just didn't know if you guys needed them for the show or anything like that. Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you sent them. Cause I mean, like I'm just you, the, the stuff that you like, I I'm still floored by like, like how good these things are. Like they are just like the, the yeah. detail on this beret. I can read what it says on the flash yeah. and it's a ring. It's, it's yeah. blows my mind, man. Um, on that yeah. one, if, if there's any army guys out there, this ring, by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug this because I want to make these. Um, that's a security forces flash, but I can do any unit flash. So if you want a ranger unit, uh, if you want a uh, special forces flash, whatever whatever flash you can put on a beret, I can do it. So if someone wants one of those custom, I'm I'm all in. I'll do them. There it is. So. <laughs> As usual. Yeah, and, oh, so, go ahead, Kevin. No, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, like, I mean, like, thanks again for coming on, Paul. Like, I appreciate it, man. Uh, Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, I, I we're promote the fuck out of everything. And yeah, when your book comes out, let us know so we can I we will. can put it up. Uh, and uh, yeah, Tyree, again, I got I got to talk to you about that the website thing. Oh, yeah. Um, because I just had another idea. I'm gonna write that down. So hey, everybody. This is uh, Tyree here with Before I Forget. Please remember to like, listen, share, subscribe, and watch. Thank you, Paul, for coming on. The greatest podcast in the history of podcasts with the greatest host in the history of hosts, Mr. Kevin. Say bye, Kevin. Adios.